Wendell Berry writes, I believe the world was created and approved by love, that it subsists, coheres, and endures by love, and that insofar as the world is redeemable, it can be redeemed only by love. Of all the worn, smudged, dog-eared words in our vocabulary, love is surely the grubbiest, smelliest, slimiest, bald from a million pulpits, lasciviously crooned through hundreds of millions of loudspeakers. It has become an outrage to good taste and decent feeling, an obscenity which one hesitates to pronounce. That's Aldous Huxley in The Divine Within. But he goes on to say, and yet it has to be pronounced, for after all, love is the last word. We have shared several radiant hours this month focused on love. I believe that each service has asserted the fact that we cannot cover it all in one Sunday, nor one month, nor a month of Sundays. It has been wrestled with in journey groups with a similar sentiment. There are so many ways to talk about love, so many paths of love to consider. So I beg your forgiveness that I will not be able to cover it all today. We have talked about loving ourselves and others and considered what it means to have a perfect heart. We have heard a story of self-love and God's love and being re been reassured that our faith has a saving message, that all are loved, that no one is beyond redemption or grace, and that we can bring our whole selves to this place. We have been reassured that we do not, in fact, have to love ourselves first in order to love others, but that it is in loving others that we can learn to love ourselves. Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. writes about the different types of love. He speaks most often about agape, the greater love. Not greater in the sense of better, but greater in the sense of encompassing. Not an anemic love, he writes, but a fierce love that takes great courage. What is fierce love? And what would that love have us do? Our theologian James Luther Adams writes, a faith that is not the sister of justice is bound to bring people to grief. It thwarts creation, a divinely given possibility. It robs people of their birthright of freedom in an open universe. It robs the community of the spiritual richness latent in its members. 
It reduces the person to a beast of burden in slavish subservience to a state, a church, or a party, a God made by human hands. Whoa, JLA. So here's a little history for you, a little UU history. Many of you heard Louis Bergeron speak a few weeks ago about having friends at the Tennessee Valley UU Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. There was a shooting at that congregation. They were targeted because they're welcoming to the LGBTQ community and because of their liberal stance on many issues. And after that shooting, when we were all trying to figure out how to deal with that, Bill Sinkford, who was UUA president at the time and who is now serving at All, C All Souls DC as interim, made the remark in a meeting soon after the shooting that Unitarian Universalists always stand on the side of love. Now, there may be cases where, in fact, we have missed the mark. But for the most part, even when we do miss the mark, when we see the error of our ways, we correct, we adjust for the most part. In the same meeting where Bill Sinkford made that remark, Jason Shelton, a musician and composer, um, began to get a little distracted. And people could just tell he was not paying attention. And he, maybe he even left the room for about an hour and a half. And we, when he came back, he had written a song called Standing on the Side of Love. In 2009, our UUA launched a, can a campaign called Standing on the Side of Love with the goal of harnessing love's power to challenge exclusion, oppression, and acts of violence based on sexual orientation, gender identity, immigration status, race, religion, or any other identity which might margin, which, where people might be marginalized and targeted. The Standing on the Side of Love campaign <clears throat> was open to anyone, not just UUs. The branding was this rather bright, shall we call it? <laughs> yellow color, which looks good on no one, by the way. Um, and well, maybe a few people. But And there were t-shirts, t-shirts. Um, standing on the side of love was used to fight for marriage equality in Massachusetts and also in the opposition to the Prop 8 campaign in California, which was also a fight for marriage equality. But it was in Arizona in partnership with many, many local agencies and organizations to fight and protest State Bill 1070 and the horrible policies of Sheriff Joe Arpaio that you showed up in these hideous, I mean, bright yellow shirts <laughs> that the folks in Arizona began to call us the love people. Sweet. I mean, it gets complicated, right? Let's just name it. A bunch of well-meaning, mostly white folks in these bright yellow shirts in a sea of brown faces and bodies who were under attack, showing up in really obvious attire that garners a lot of attention. Were we drawing attention away from the real issue? 
or were we helping? But we did show up at the request of folks, the local folks. Yellow shirts and other complications aside, and without the attention getting t-shirts, are we the love people? How would it be for us to be known as the love people in Loudoun County? Even if nobody else out there thinks of us that way, who would we be if we thought of ourselves as the love people? What would that look like? What would that like look like for you as an individual and how you are in this world? And what would that look like for you as community, as a congregation, to be the love people? What would love have us do? What is love calling us to? <clears throat> Theologian Frederick Beekner writes that the place love, or God if you prefer that term, calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Love calls us to that place the place where we are glad to be and the place where the world needs us to be. Love calls us there. What is that place? Notice that Beekner doesn't say the place where we are comfortable. He says the meeting place of deep gladness and deep hunger. Love and justice, as they are in our mission statement, are so closely tied for Unitarian Universalist. Cornell West reminds us that justice is what love looks like in public. And I love the sentiment of Austin Channing Brown, who says, I am not interested in love, in a love that is aloof. I need a love that is troubled by injustice. Yeah, we need a love that is troubled. We need to know that justice is love, not justice of law, not the justice of the power of the judicial system, which is quite flawed, by the way. What we mean when we connect love with justice is the justice that is love, the justice of the oppressed and the marginalized, the justice of inclusion, the justice that draws the circle wider, the love that does that too. The justice that says no one should have to suffer violence, exclusion, humiliation, or oppression because of their identities. For the last year, I think it was the last year, the pandemic time really makes me question the reality of time. So 
It's probably been more than a year, but a group here at church at the request of the governing board has been working on designing a process for determining how we live this new mission statement that we have, kindling the flame of love and justice to nurture and heal ourselves, each other, and our world. That begins, that process is happening. It begins next month with the first big question, small talk after the service. These, there will be one each month, March, April, and May, 30 minutes after the service, that's it. Then on May 20th, Saturday, we hope to have as many people as possible show up to an event called Igniting the Flame where we will take a deep dive into what our values are now, into who we are now, and who we want to be as a congregation, and what we are moving toward. So I ask you to ponder, if love is calling us on, where is it calling us to? Where is that fierce love calling us? What is it calling us to do? Who is love calling us to be now? Who is love calling you to be? I invite you to reimagine who UUCL is and can be. And I want to offer that we could be the love people we could harness love's power to stop oppression. Maybe that looks like committing to be actively anti-racist. It's more than just putting up a Black Lives Matter sign, although we could do that too. We could commit to letting this church be a learning ground for doing anti-racist work. We could learn about microaggressions, and we could learn about what it means to be transgender. We have a good start on that, but that class we did last fall. We could do any of those things that we might be afraid of. We could let go of being perfect. We could let go of doing things right and instead just do things with love and courage. We're all changed by the last three years, I hope. This is an opportunity to get clear, to offer some definition to who you are and to who this congregation is and wants to be, to listen to the call of love and to answer what love calls us to do now. That standing on the side of love story continued. Several years ago, um, again, I don't know how many because of the pandemic, but five, six, seven, <clears throat> some of the UUs in this movement who are disabled, began a movement to change our thinking about ability, disability, and access. 
I won't go into all the details here, but to, to suffice it to say that even though most people can agree that standing on the side of love is a metaphor, bringing attention to the ableist language of this very popular song, Standing on the Side of Love, would highlight, highlight and illuminate how the world is for many physically disabled folks. And Jason Shelton, composer of Standing on the Side of Love, heard that, took this to heart, and out of love, changed the words officially to answering the call of love. And the Standing on the Side of Love campaign became the Side with Love campaign. It still exists. If you participated in You, You, The Boat, that was the Side with Love people. And today they're providing, providing much needed support for those fighting the heinous laws against transgender youth, minors, and their ability to access the health care they need. Because when we know better, we do better. So I ask you, who are we to be now? Who are we here for now? And who will we be here for in the future? <clears throat> I don't know what you'll decide. But if, as Aldous Huxley says, love has the last word, then love, L-O-V-E, capital L-O-V-E, that larger love that holds us and will not let us go, is calling us on. How will we answer that call?